Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. Yes, give me music. Oh, are you keeping that in? <laughs> yes, I oh, might. Boy. Shit, oh, I boy. might. <laughs> Shit, I might. What How are we doing? doing this week? Well, we are, for the very first time, recording remotely, which is fun, question mark. Fun, fun. <laughs> for, first time we're not in the same room together. How you feeling over there in Michigan? Feeling, feeling good. Uh, I'm looking at a phone. Uh, I'm in a state with the greatest of lakes. Um <laughs> And feeling good, but yeah, it is—it's strange because you know there's a delay. It's not really that bad, but it, it's enough that you would notice. But um, I mean, the the sound came through well, and uh, I'm just really excited to jump into the story this week. Yeah, I I hope the sound comes through well. If it doesn't sound like our other episodes, that's why, because we're remotely recording. Um, but <laughs> please forgive us. <laughs> please forgive us. But hopefully, it's good. Um, yeah. Well, anything anything to say before we uh, get rolling? Let's get rolling. We have a little extra tidbit this week, right? Yeah, we do. So we um, had a listener send us in an email of their own personal survival story, which is very exciting. And it also fits the theme of this week's episode. So I figure, uh, you know, I, I'll read it to you guys, give you a little extra content because i love you naughties <laughs> and yeah i don't know um and if and also just a little reminder if you want to send in your own survival story send it to us at notetodaypodcast.gmail.com and maybe we will read it on air and maybe we'll have enough to do our own listener episode and wouldn't do that be entirely something entirely new content drop sometime that's not tuesday sure maybe wouldn't that That'd, be crazy that would be crazy posting two times a week Oof. we could maybe make it happen it's up to you guys though <laughs> all right so let's, <laughs> all right, what's the yeah let's read this email so this email that i'm reading um the subject line is called stuck so if that gives you a little breadcrumb of information and this is from tim this is an extremely funny story of my survival when i was around seven or eight i had a bed with drawers in the frame along with cabinets uh, kind of like space for extra blankets I always wanted to play hide-and-seek and stay in there, but I never really went for it, until one time I did, and I crawled into the cabinet and closed the door. I hid so well that I didn't know the others stopped playing. At this point, I was in the cabinet for a while and accidentally fell asleep. While I was sleeping, I must have brought my knees up to my chest because I had gotten stuck. I started to yell, but at this point, everyone was hanging out around the, bar the fire pit outside. Once the night was over, my parents said that they thought that I went to bed without saying goodnight. And the next morning, my parents went to work, and I was still in the cabinet stuck. Finally, after my mother got home from work, she finally helped me out. I was stuck in the cabinet for over 24 hours and had to go through some physical therapy to help with the loss of circulation in my legs. And then it, uh, he said, attached is a picture of my old bed and the very cabinet that I was stuck in. So I, I guess I can include that in the Instagram post if you're yeah, interested. Let's, let's, yeah, let's tag that <laughs> onto the post. Yeah. I kind of want to see it. Well, that really sucks. He had to do like PT for his yeah. legs. Yeah, wow. he was stuck in like and like the picture of this cabinet it's freaking tiny it is small 
Tim went for it on the hide and yeah. seek game. Like he's dedicated. Oh, yeah, Tim is big, not fucking around. Yeah, big credit. I can't imagine like just <laughs> just like it wouldn't be like exactly despair, I feel like, but like just kind of a feeling of like really nobody noticed that I'm gone for twenty four hours. Yeah, I mean I guess the parents just went to work and then assumed maybe he was at school or something and then they didn't, you know, yeah. notice, I guess. I bet they felt really bad. I bet they did, yeah. <laughs> Damn. That's well, that crazy. was fun, though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a cool one to start with. Um, yeah, like I said, if you guys have stories of your own, please send them in. We'd love to hear them and read them. Um, and but shout yeah. out to Tim. Yeah, shout out to Tim. Thank you so much for sending that in. But let us jump on in to the story this week. So we are going to be talking about Eric Baker. And my sources for this week's episode is In an Instant. Um, it's a documentary, uh, you know, I guess, what, documentary series? Um, but this one is specifically called Buried Alive. And um, I also got information from Eric Baker Grain Engulfment Short on YouTube and Nebraska.tv News article written by Steve White. Let's jump in. So we're going to go back to June 26th, 2013. And Eric lives in a really small town called Eldora in the very center of Iowa. All they have is like two grocery stores, two gas stations. Um, His graduating class had 50 people in it. And his father, Rick, was a farmer and his mother, Annette, was a teacher at the high school. And when Eric graduated, he went to college for about a year and a half. But at Christmas time of his sophomore year, he came home and told his family that college just wasn't for him. And that's when his sister suggested that he become a farmer with his father. It just fit his personality much better. Um, He said that he's an instant gratification kind of guy. And farming was so great because after hours of work, you can look out into the field and physically see everything that you've accomplished. So that's why he liked it. So June 26, 2013 started out as any normal day for Eric. He woke up between 6.15 a.m. and 6.45, and he made his way to the farm that he worked on with his father, and they they were grain farmers. They, They had like a grain bins, which is basically like these gigantic silos full of corn. Have you ever seen um, A Quiet Place? Oh, no, not A Quiet Place, but I've seen those uh, like vats of corn. Yeah. Well, I, I just was asking if you've seen A Quiet Place, and I guess anyone who's listening, if, if you know what I'm talking about, um, there's a scene where they're like, the two siblings are kind of running from one of those monsters, and they fall into a grain bin, and they're like in all the corn, they're kind of like sinking. Um, but anyway, that's what it is. So it's a big, big old silo of corn. Um, and they basically like empty out the corn into like these big semi trucks, and then like go drive the semi trucks to like another farm and like sell the grain. Can you tell that I'm not a farmer? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're doing that, some corn shit. <laughs> we're doing some Iowa ass corn shit. So, you know, he got up that morning, he put on his steel toed boots. Um, it was super hot that week. So he put on his t-shirt that had the sleeves cut off. He had on his work shorts And he had some leftover chicken strips that he brought with him uh, in the car that he was munching on that morning on the way to work. Oh, hell yeah. Um, He got to the grain bin around 8.30 that morning, and he met his dad and a man named Kay that was the other truck driver that was working with them on on the farm that morning. 
And to make money farming, at least doing what they were doing, um, you have to get the grain to a merchant or a co-op or an ethanol plant. And they achieved that by, like I said earlier, loading these gigantic semi-trucks with the grain. So they had been doing this same thing for the past like week. So, you know, Eric would load up the semis with the corn and, you know, do other things that needed to be done. And then his father and Kay would then drive their designated trucks to the co-ops and then come back and, you know, so so on and so forth. Um, so they loaded up their first semi and Kay had started his drive to the co-op to drop off the grain. There was about a 45-mile haul to get to this co-op, which ended up being about a two-hour trip drive there and back. Typically, if everything goes the way it's supposed to, you don't ever have to get into these gigantic grain bins. What you do is you open the slide at the bottom of the bin, and it comes out from what's called an auger on the edge of the bin, and you put it in the truck from there, and then you drive it away. So basically, the auger is kind of like this gigantic screw. It's like swirly. It's swirly. I mean, Alex can see what I'm doing because I'm making like a hand movement, but it's like a, a screw, essentially, a gigantic screw at the bottom of this grain bin and it like twists and then the the corn like empties out into the truck does that make sense right yep i got it okay great so (laughs) i am gonna repeat again not a farmer (laughs) don't know if i'm it's all good (laughs) if any farmers would like to correct me feel free to do so i'm sorry if i'm (laughs) offending any of you but so these grain bins are actually extremely dangerous because a lot of things can go wrong and That day, the grain wasn't coming out in a consistent way. It would kind of stop and sputter, so that meant that something was wrong, and it was Eric's job to try to figure out what was happening. And farms in general can be extremely dangerous, but specifically grain bins, there's a lot of moving parts, like I said, specifically the auger, and if you get your arm caught in it, uh, or any of these moving parts, it's it's coming off. Like, no, no question. But what he had to do was by far the most dangerous thing a grain farmer can do. Um, he had to physically go inside the top of the grain bin, which is, ju- it's huge. Like it's a gigantic, there's like steps on the outside. You have to like work your way up these like spiral staircase up to the very, very tippy top, open like a hatch at the roof of it and then like hop inside kind of thing. So it's, it's a big thing. Fun. Lots of grain, lots of grain in there. But what he said makes this task so dangerous is how common it is because it is one of the most dangerous things, but like it happens so often. So a lot of times are kind of down. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, I know the dangers of it, but also I do it all the time. So like, it's not going to happen to me kind of thing, you know? Oh yeah. Everybody has something that they do that is like that. Right. So he climbed up all the steps to the very tippy top of this grain silo and then climbed down the ladder inside with an eight foot PVC pipe to then poke around to try to figure out why the corn wasn't coming out of the like spout. And they figured that it was due to like a pocket of rotten corn that was slowing things down. And so, you know, they needed to poke at the corn to like break up these pockets of rotten grain. So Eric's dad waited at the top to look down into the grain bin to watch Eric just as like an extra layer of safety. 
And when you get down onto the grain, you can stand on top and walk around. Um, You know, his feet sunk only about six inches in and he could easily move around on top of the corn. His layers of safety were that his dad was watching him from above and there was a thin rope that would help him get back to the ladder if he needed it that was like kind of tied around his shoulder. And he also had a helmet with a face shield. This helmet would help him breathe in there because it helped like pull oxygen. Um, it didn't produce oxygen, but it had this ventilation system on the top, which takes oxygen and passes it through the ventilation so Eric could breathe easier. So he's in there, he's doing his thing. He's poking around with his little PVC pipe. And after a few pokes, one of his feet got like sucked into the corn, which meant that the auger had started pumping out corn again and the truck was being filled. So he he did break up a, a pocket of rotten corn. Also something to mention, that is extremely dangerous. Not only is is it dangerous to just be on this corn period, but it is exponentially more dangerous if the auger is still going. Because like I said, this thing is twisting and it can literally tear you apart. So he was in there with the auger still turned on, but it just wasn't turning because the corn was stuck. So once the corn is unstuck, it's going to start turning again. So that's what happened. And so he poked a little a little pocket of rotten corn. It started turning again, and his foot sunk in. He was able to pull his foot out and keep poking around to get any more pockets of rotten corn because he didn't want to be in there. So, you know, if there's more pockets, he just wanted to take care of them now. That way he didn't have to, like, get back in kind of thing. Right. And as he was doing this, his father was, you know, still standing at the top, but watching the truck fill from above. And so he whistled into the bin that the problem had been solved. And he was like, basically like, I'm going to go back downstairs. He like signaled to him um, and said that Eric could come out and stop doing this. His father gave him the thumbs up and he started to walk back down the steps on the side of the bin to go shut off the auger and go to the truck. Eric now knows that the initial problem has been solved, but since he was already in there, he decided to give the grain one last good poke before he came out. Oh, no. (laughs) But when a shelf of molded corn forms like that, it creates an air pocket underneath it. So when he did give the corn one good last poke, it made the rotten corn shelf completely collapse, and he went down into the corn with it so immediately he was knee deep and he couldn't move his legs like once you're that deep in the corn and it's like being sucked down by this auger that was still running there's no way of getting yourself out you have to have someone physically pull you out and his dad wasn't there anymore so he's sinking like quicksand And while he was going down, he tried screaming out for his dad, but he couldn't hear him since the machinery was still going. And also he was still, he was really far away from him at this point. So he's fucked with an F, a big F. You know what I mean? Where is that rope? Well, it's a a teeny rope. So anyway, we're going to find out about the rope. But by the time he was waist deep, he tried pulling on this rope he had with him, but he could see it actually slipping through his hands as he slowly sunk into the corn. So even Oh my god. So even though he's holding onto this rope, it's not doing anything. He's just sinking. How much distance does he have until he's like absolutely screwed? At this point he's waist deep. So he's sinking real quick. Yeah. He, yeah. But like how much corn in in total? What do you mean how like much how corn? Like how tall in total? how tall is the grain bin? fucking tall it's huge okay so he's got time but it's not looking good (laughs) well no but he doesn't have time though because once he's underneath the corn he's underneath the corn you know 
Yeah, but I guess, like, you know, you should probably notice if he's not saying anything. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he has, I guess he has time until he's, like, physically shredded up by the auger, but once you sink underneath the corn, that is a huge problem, and you could die very easily. So that's that's For the problem. Sure. Yeah, so we're back in it. So he's waist deep. He sees the thing, or he sees the rope slipping out of his hands as he's sinking further and further into the corn, and he has absolutely no control over this. And at this point, he's neck deep in the corn because he's just very very steadily going in and his arms are you know over his head and he's still trying to cling onto this rope but when he looked in every direction he was just completely surrounded by corn and the only way to make this sinking stop would have been to shut the auger off and the auger was still on so he is going in and he knew that he was going under so he took his last big breath as soon as his head and arms were completely submerged, that's when his father finally shut off the auger and he stopped sinking. But he's completely submerged at this point, like hands outstretched above his head and all. Oh my God, like uh, are his like fingers or hands above it? So we'll get to that, but like his hands are definitely up, like up above his head and they're also submerged. Oh God. So he's, he's deep in this big gigantic silo of corn. This was at 10.32 a.m., just so we can keep a timeline. And inside the corn, all Eric could see was blackness, as I'm sure you could imagine. I thought Thankfully, you were about to say corn. <laughs> it's like, no shit. <laughs> and inside the corn, all Eric could see was corn. Was corn. indeed corn. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> keep going, I'm sorry. Oh my god, it's okay. Uh, so... Thankfully, he had that helmet on his face, like I talked about earlier. So at least the corn wasn't completely, you know, touching his face, but he was still fucked. Like, he wasn't doing good. The way he was stuck in the corn, uh, his right arm was above his head, but angled in front of him, and then his left arm was sticking directly up, and his right leg was pointed down, and his left leg was bent like he was still trying to climb out of the corn. So he was just stuck, like, kind of like a runner. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He was also in the center of the corn when he went down, which is like the worst possible place to be because the center is where everything falls because like in a grain bin, the right. center is the lowest part. And so all of the pressure is on your body. And yeah, I mean, there, it's almost kind of like an hourglass, right? Well, no, I don't. It's, <laughs> I it's mean not, that it all falls into the middle, I guess. Oh, I'm just oh, thinking about that. I just thought of the shape of an hourglass and I was like, no, Isn't it's the grain not. bin shaped like that. I'm trying I mean, to visualize it. Well, yeah. I mean, from the outside, it just looks like a big metal cylinder that's full of corn. And, like, the top of it is kind of pointed, but, like, the bottom is is pretty straight. Like, it just looks like it's a, a cylinder. So all of the pressure of this corn would have been, like, on his body. And there would have been about 400 pounds of pressure on his chest and close to 900 pounds of pressure on his right foot. Oh, God. You can't breathe. You can't see. You can't move. He could have suffered from a heart attack, a lung collapse, dehydration, heat exhaustion, heat stroke, or, according to his doctor, all of those things could have happened simultaneously. But the main cause of death in this situation is suffocation. And 
for a farmer, like in a grain bin, if you get sucked underneath the corn, almost 99.9% of the time, you do not survive. Like this is something that kills people instantly. Like within two to four minutes, you're done. Yeah. This is an extremely dangerous situation and he has hundreds of pounds of pressure on his body. So he is buried alive. Jesus, this is terrifying. So like almost everyone dies who gets into this situation, but they do this like every year. They do this all the time. I mean, it's their job. They're farmers. All the time. Yeah. yeah, it's just o- occupational hazard, you know? Wild. Why don't they have like an emergency shut off for the auger inside the bin- the grain bin? That would be good. I don't know, but they don't. <laughs> so Yeah, it would have helped him out here. <laughs> yeah, it would have. But he's wearing the helmet, which is yeah. like what saved his life. So after his father shut off the auger at the bottom of the bin, he got into his truck and started to drive off to sell the grain because, you know, this is what they've been doing for the past week. It's they fill the they fill the truck and then they drive away and they sell the corn. And that's what wait. it is. He had no idea that his son Wait, wait, wait. Uh-huh, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. So yep. he knew that Eric was in the grain silo or the mm-hmm. grain bin and then yes. didn't help Eric get back out of the grain bin. Well, no, because he didn't think that he needed help because there's a ladder inside the grain bin. So if Eric, like short of Eric being buried alive, which he was obviously, he could have just walked out and, and climbed out of the grain bin. And they right. do this all the time. So, like, that's the problem. That's why it's so dangerous. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I honestly thought that, like, I don't know why, but I was like, he just drove away with Eric in the grain bin, and it was, like, attached to the truck, obviously. I didn't know what the fuck was happening, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe go back and check. <laughs> right, but, but, you know. <laughs> I don't know. They do this all the time, so. <laughs> exactly. So, as he was leaving, he looked back to the top of the grain bin and noticed that Eric hadn't come out yet. But like we talked about earlier, this is something that they do every single day. And he did not think that something like this would happen. You know, he gave Eric's phone a call or he gave Eric a call. I guess that's a weird way of saying it. He just called Eric to say, uh, see if he was okay, but it went to voicemail. But you know, he was like, it's, I'm sure it's fine. Maybe he just doesn't have his phone on him. And then he left to sell the grain. So the whole hour he was driving, he kept getting this terrible feeling because he could sense that something was wrong. And so he kept calling, but Eric didn't answer. But the fact that Eric wasn't answering was really concerning because he always answered his phone. And that's when Rick called Kay, the other guy who had left to sell the grain, you know, not too long ago to ask if he was almost back to the farm. And then when he said he was, Rick told him not to turn on the auger until he knows where Eric is. Because like I said earlier, if you turn on the auger, Eric continues to get like sunken down into the corn and then he can get cut up in the blades. And then instead of the corn coming out of the spigot, it's going to be Eric's bloody body. Right. Right. Not good. Not good. So Kay, who had just gotten back to the farm, went up to look into the grain bin and didn't see anything, obviously, because he was completely submerged. So he went down to Eric's truck to see if his helmet was down there, which it wasn't. So he went back up to look in the grain bin again and noticed that the rope was like pulled really tight into the corn. And just then, Rick, who had arrived at the farm where he where he had to go to unload his corn, was in line of a bunch of other semi-trucks and his phone had died. He is completely stuck in this line of semis because you can't just like 
do a quick three-point turn with a semi-truck in a line and like get home so he's completely stuck and his phone is dead feeling pretty helpless and desperate at this point he just went to the truck behind him to ask if he could use that farmer's phone and luckily he let him use his phone no questions asked and he finally got a hold of Kay again who told him that he couldn't find eric but his helmet was missing and the rope was you know pulled tight into the corn so all signs are pointing to eric being completely submerged and that's when rick called 911 and when things like this happen it's usually a recovery of a body and never a rescue but they had to try. So 911 dispatched a rescue team and ambulances. Now, Eric, he's under the corn, but he's still alive because of that helmet. And he can still breathe, but he can't move at all. And for the first five minutes of him being under the corn, he was 100% panicking. But somehow, after about five minutes, he was able to stop himself from panicking and was kind of just talking to himself and just kept repeating that he was alive and was just trying to focus on his breathing. But because of the immense amount of pressure on his body, breathing was really, really difficult. And he, he started noticing that the more he tried to move, the tighter the corn would get around him. So there was absolutely no way he'd be able to get himself out. He said that he knew the only way he'd be able to get out of there alive was to make sure that he was still breathing by the time the rescue team got there. So he stopped moving or he stopped trying to move and he stopped panicking and came up with the plan that he would be completely still and all he would do was breathe because that's all he could do. How terrifying and it's all black for him. Yeah. He can't see anything. No. And he has basically like two large people sitting on his chest. Yeah. Hashtag not a good time. Straight up not having a good time. Straight up bad time. Eric said that he knew their schedules and how long it should take for his father and Kay to leave and come back. So now he just had to play the waiting game underneath this freaking corn buried alive but he also knew that Kay would have been the first one back and the first thing he would do is start the auger and if that happened it would have been completely game over for him but he said that he you know thought about that for a second and then he was like nope no more thinking about that can't can't think about that anymore and he also said that he didn't let himself think about his mother he said that she never even crossed his mind and he said that he believes if he did think about her he would have lost the emotional battle which would have you know killed him essentially right he also said that the his right foot was on the gearbox of the sweep which was at the very center of the corn and if his father had waited any longer to turn off the auger when he was sinking he would have died a really terrible death meaning he would have been torn up and just start to come out the auger does he hit touching the gearbox just mean that he was closer than we thought to getting the torn mach- up yeah, yeah. So he was just closer to the machinery than he was comfortable with, I guess. As any, closer than anyone would be comfortable with, to be honest. But right, we got it. Exactly. So Kay, who now knows that Eric is underneath the corn and this rope is seemingly attached to him, he starts to like tug on the rope. And Eric feels this because the rope was tied around his shoulder, but he tugged it, I guess, a little bit too hard and it slipped up off of his arm, which was still above his head and it got caught on his leather glove. And Kay gave it one last tug and it came completely out of the corn, the rope. 
the first thing that Eric thought happened was he thought that he completely lost his hand because of how badly this rope burn hurt. But at least he now knows that Kay knows he's in there and he's not going to turn on the auger. Right. Crisis. It was like immediate crisis averted. Yeah. It was like, ouchie boo boo. And then it was like, oop, not going to die. Kind of. Maybe. I hope so. I'll take it. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, t- I'll take this like tiny little victory. Fire Chief Rick Gustin was the first to arrive on the scene, and when the rescue team arrived at 12.37 p.m., the mood was bleak because they all believed that this was the recovery of a body rather than a rescue. Because at that time, Eric had been under the corn for, like, almost two hours, and nobody survives that. Typically, someone who has been pulled under the corn would suffocate within two to four minutes. So they're like, two hours? Uh, no. Not looking good. Exactly. So they they completely cut all the power to the grain bin and were planning to cut the sides open to drain the corn out of the bin to recover his body. It was also 137 degrees in the grain bin that day. So he was extremely hot underneath all of this corn. Dude. Would you very quickly look up what 137 degrees Fahrenheit is in Celsius so we can help oh, out yeah, our Celsius? Sure. <laughs> we for can help sure. out our Celsius friends. <laughs> All right, it is 58.3 degrees Celsius and I have to say this is approaching the temperature of a regular sauna. This is yeah. ridiculous and he has 400 pounds of pressure on his chest, 900 on his foot. Are you dead? Like he is hot <laughs> and getting compressed. It's like a diamond. <laughs> He's the diamond he, in the rough. Okay, no. <laughs> Rihanna? <laughs> oh my god. Oh yeah, Jesus, man. That's hot. How, how do you even withstand that for two hours, man? He, he's got to be holding on by a thread at this point after two hours. Well, yeah, but he's, he's not close to being out yet. So he's going to have to be in there for a, a lot longer. Wow. Yeah. So because his left hand was in the air, about four of his fingers were above the corn and he was able to slowly get his love, his leather glove off of his hand to allow some ventilation to his fingers. And this process was painstakingly slow. Um, he'd be able to take off one finger at a time and in between each he'd have to rest for about 20 minutes and breathe just because it was that hard wow just to take off a glove yes but he did finally get his glove off and he had this weird little victory for himself but all he could do was breathe because there's that's there's nothing else but right you know at, at, at least he got his glove off and he could feel some kind of coolness i guess but it's still really really hot in there Just so like it's a little small victory yeah slightly less terrible but he at this point was ready to die he at one point even held his breath to try and make himself pass out because he knew that if he passed out he wasn't going to wake back up and he actually tried this three times but after the third time he decided that since he wasn't going to pass out he was just going to keep fighting i mean he was absolutely terrified and this is just like pain and just terror agony Agony. it's like i couldn't even imagine how terrifying like i like my brain physically will not let me actually visualize what he was going through because the claustrophobia that i feel like i i wouldn't be able to function you know yeah i mean i'm not claustrophobic but like jesus anyone would be terrified in this situation yeah Yeah. and so he's he's already he tried to give up and then was like well i didn't pass out so exactly (laughs) he's like i'll stick it out 
I guess I have to keep trying. Yeah. And he, well, he okay. Ha- so what's nine one one doing? Where are they? Well, like I said, they didn't think that he was alive. So they got there and they're you know doing their plan of of recovery, but not their plan of rescue. So they don't feel like it's very urgent because he's been under uh, the corn. I, he's been under the corn for two hours at this point. I get it. But like, why wouldn't you even try? Because Okay, so the thing is, is that his helmet was something that no farmer had like really ever seen. It was like a very new product that he got at like a farming convention that he used just because he didn't like when the corn would like fly up and hit his eyes. Um, or something like that. And so no farmer has ever really like experienced this helmet. So no one knew that it was even possible to be submerged underneath corn and not suffocate. Well, thank the fucking Lord for this thing. (laughs) Yeah, no, I know. But they had, but like from their perspective, they're like two hours, he's 100% dead. Yeah. Okay. I mean, fair enough, but you know. And so back to Eric, he had a lot of time to think about death and something that really scared him was that he could really easily die. And if he did, he wouldn't even really know what happened. And after that realization is when the pain became a good thing. His right foot was pretty severely crushed and he kind of allowed himself to start feeling that because the pain meant that he was still alive. So he was he was welcoming pain at this point. He also thought about how he was either going to see the light again or he wasn't, meaning the light being the door at the top of the grain bin that was letting the light inside or he, he wasn't ever going to see that again. And after thinking about that a little bit too hard, he got really freaked out and went back to focusing on his breathing. The whole time that Eric was in the corn, he actually felt his phone vibrating and ringing because you know his his mother his father his girlfriend like everyone is trying to get a hold of him because you know it was just in his front left pocket and everything is like so hardly compressed that the vibrations are like in the corn around him and actually ironically enough his girlfriend had texted him did you die because he wasn't answering oh my god did you say lol after (laughs) (laughs) i hope not but uh wow yeah what a horrific last text but yeah I can't even imagine. So he's sitting in there in the dark, like fully just, well, I already tried to die. Welcoming pain because it means that he's alive and is just like coming to peace with death. And he can feel his phone vibrating, which is literally everyone that he has ever loved trying to get a hold of him, but he can't move. Mm -hmm. I, I can't even imagine. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it would be like slightly comforting to just know that somebody's trying to get to you. But I mean, at the same time, like how hopeless is that? I mean, he's extremely helpless. He can't do anything. He can't even, he can barely breathe. Outside of the bin, Eric's mother had just arrived at the scene and was completely freaking out. Her husband had called her and gave her a very jumbled but frantic message of Eric never came out and we can't find him. And she just immediately knew that something was wrong. So she absolutely speed racer down to the farm. The police were able to sit her in Eric's pickup truck and try to calm her down with one of the neighboring farmers who was friends with Rick, who was Eric's father. And in the pickup truck, she tried to prepare herself for when they pulled his body out of the corn because she knew what this meant too. You know, she's like, nobody survives this. So she's completely grieving the death of her son at this point. And she said all she could do was picture him in the corn and she knew she had to turn off her thoughts. So she put her headphones in and blasted whatever music she had on her iPod and just rocked back and forth. 
and she actually thought about how crazy she must look, but then she came to the conclusion that she didn't care because this is what she had to do in that moment to be functioning, you know? Right, yeah, 100%. Like, how how can you be like, this mother is coping with the loss of her child but she looks crazy like right nobody has that reaction but yeah i understand how she would why she would feel that way yeah she's like rocking and they're like do do they just think i'm rocking out while my son is like dead in this corn bin like i mean yeah everyone does something different that's what she needed to do no absolutely that's i mean do what you gotta do um but when rick arrived he started running at the police but the farmer friend that was helping calm down um his mother pulled him away and then led him to his wife and she said that he looked like he was about to completely collapse but she hit his chest with her both of her hands and said there's no time for that now get a grip you can cry later (laughs) completely scolded his ass i mean it's not funny but i don't even know what to say i'm like just yeah she has moxie and we do not have time for your shit exactly (laughs) and then you know they they hugged and basically prepared themselves for the worst possible outcome so you know he blew his nose put his handkerchief in his pocket and they just stood there because he feels like immense guilt how can you not like yeah the yeah the i don't know is i guess it's not survivor guilt but like just the guilt that you must feel in this moment is so immense yeah because he's you know he didn't check you know he didn't turn off the auger in time like you know what i mean there's just well so many... he he technically did just in time right uh, well he doesn't yeah. know that but exactly but he's like, this is the worst possible thing. But anyway, underneath the corn, Eric has passed out, but all of a sudden he felt a breeze. And somehow underneath the corn, there was still enough airflow that he knew that someone was in the grain bin with him. It was two men who were trying to assess the situation and they pretty much came to the conclusion that there was no way that he'd be alive underneath the corn. And they turned on these giant fans and and he was, you know, able to feel some kind of airflow, which is what woke him up. But then he, when he did wake up, he realized that his fingers were no longer sticking out of the grain. And what happened was that the two men were walking around on top of him, which was causing the grain to shift and actually resulting in Eric being buried further down with each step that they took. They walked around the grain bin for about 10 minutes before he had realized that they were even there. And so he's way further down in the corn and he he heard them talking and heard one of the men say, if he's in there, he's dead. That's when he started screaming as loud and as hard as he could, which, you know, wasn't very loud or hard considering all the pressure on his chest, but he made as much noise as he possibly could. And one of the men heard a really small muffled voice. He said it sounded similar to like a small child underneath a pile of blankets, but that's when he realized that Eric was directly beneath them and was still alive underneath the corn. So the two men start furiously digging and one of them reaches Eric's hand and he grabbed it and Eric like clasped onto his hand and held really tightly. The other man in the bin starts like running to the ladder and gets himself out of the grain bin and starts screaming that Eric is alive and, you know, they can start treating this as a rescue rather than a body recovery. So, you know, he's screaming to everyone, he's alive, he's alive. And and everyone's like, what? So... 
the rescue team had kind of resigned to the fact that they weren't going to need to be urgent or have any more resources sent out to them because they thought that he was dead. But as soon as they knew he was alive, it was like sending an electric shock through everyone on that rescue team. It was just like adrenaline rush galore. So this really picked up the pace and the urgency and everything changed. The two men in the bin at that point were on their hands and knees in the corn, just digging for their lives and just shoveling out as much corn as possible with their their helmets because they were volunteer firemen. But at this point, because of all the walking around on top of him, Eric's head was about five feet underneath the corn. Five feet. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I didn't know he was that far under. I thought his hand was still sticking out. Jesus Christ. No, that's how long is his arm? Yeah, I don't know. Very long, apparently. <laughs> I guess like, long. Slender man. <laughs> he must be a tall guy. So they told Eric to keep talking so they knew that he was still alive. And since he was exhausted, all he could do was count. And while they were furiously digging him out, the grain collapsed again and buried him further down again. And this actually happened a few more times. They'd begin to dig him out and then someone would step in the wrong place and he'd be buried again. He was like uncovered a little bit and then buried and then uncovered and then buried and like it just kept happening and it was painstakingly slow yeah they need to get the grain out yes so the rescue men felt absolutely helpless because they didn't know what to do and that's when eric knew his fight wasn't over because as soon as they started digging he's like finally i'm gonna be pulled out of here and then everything started going wrong again and he's like well i'm still gonna be under this corn for quite some time One of the biggest things that kept him going was his dad. He said that he knew that if he died, his dad would never forgive himself and lose everything he's worked so hard for all his life. So he felt that he needed to keep fighting to get out of there to tell his father that it wasn't his fault. So that what was pushing him. That's when three other firefighters came into the grain bin with the two initial men and were furiously digging with their helmets. Um, because they didn't know how far down he was, so they thought that that's what they could do, you know? But outside of the bin, they started to use a saw to cut holes in the sides of the grain bin to let the corn drain out of the sides. And so they cut four holes all the way around the bin. That way, the grain was pulling equally out, and they could try to relieve the pressure on Eric's body. At each hole, they had 10 to 15 rescue people working furiously to try to shovel the grain out of the bin. That way, it would keep draining out and not get clogged up. Are they, like, sinking him further if they're cut holes and it's, like, draining out and they're standing on top of him? Yeah, I guess so, but they're I guess eventually also... it'll level out, but, you know. Yeah. Let's get on. Let's save Eric, yeah. please. <laughs> Let, very, let's do it. I'm, like, <laughs> gripping my seat. <laughs> right. Um, and... At that point, they had 10 fire departments there, two rescue squads, four ambulance crews, and that was about 150 to 200 people all working at 100% to get Eric out. A lot of people didn't even know who they were rescuing. They were just scooping the corn away like their lives depended on it. And the five men inside the bin who were shoveling down finally hit Eric's helmet with their helmets as they were digging, but they had no idea what it was. 
then they found the PVC pipe that he was using to poke around the corn and it was sticking up. And they thought that that's how Eric was breathing because the pipe was like about three inches away from his face and it was, you know, sticking up closer to the surface of the corn. So they were really careful not to touch this PVC pipe because they thought that that was the only thing that was keeping him alive, which Eric actually later said that he found very amusing that they thought that, but, but you know, that wasn't actually the case. The problem they were facing outside of the grain bin was that as the grain was pouring out, it would pile up and they wouldn't be able to push it away fast enough. So the grain wasn't coming out very quickly at all. So one of the policemen radioed to get a bulldozer that he had seen on the next farm over and had a fireman, a fireman, fireman, bring it to them, which was helping, but it took so much nonstop manpower to keep this going. Finally, the men in the grain bin had someone bring them a rescue tube, which is like a four to six piece metal tube that they would have to like shove into the grain piece by piece and it would lock together around Eric to stop the outer corn from pushing in on him more. So it was it was also trying to relieve the pressure. But they didn't know exactly where his body was or how it was oriented. And only his hand was really sticking out at this point and like the very top of his helmet. So they couldn't. Like he couldn't really talk to them. It was just his hand. Um, so they started asking him questions like, where are your feet pointed? Where's your head? Where are you facing? Uh, and with only his his one hand, he was able to point in each direction to like tell them which way, you know, he was his feet were, which way he was facing, like all those things. So now they knew what to work with. And they were actually really surprised that he was lucid enough to be able to help them that much. And they were able to shove each big metal piece, you know, around him in the correct way. One of the pieces came down and hit Eric in the shoulder really hard and he yelled out in pain. But at that point, they had already had like three pieces in the corn around him. So the main or I guess one of the rescue men were like, you have to move your shoulder or we have to pull out all these pieces and start again. So they basically tried to like dig out some corn around his shoulder so that he could like really try to push his shoulder and wiggle it away. Right. Um, but it was extremely painful. So they hit his shoulder and then he moved it and then they got it in. So now the whole tube is constructed around him, which is at least a win, but they weren't really working with developed skills that they had to use this. They were kind of just improvising at this point because I'm fairly certain that this tube wasn't like a standard thing because like I said, mostly people die. So they're not using this tube to like, you know, get people out. So they didn't really have like training on what to do with it. They were just kind of winging it. Right. This is uncharted territory. Exactly. But once the tube was constructed, there was really only enough room for one rescue member to climb into it and then continue digging around Eric. And when the rescue men were able to get Eric's head mostly out of the corn, they were shocked to see the helmet that he was wearing. It almost looked like a cheaper version of a motorcycle helmet. It had like, you know, the visor face shield that came down and at the bottom there was a cloth with like a drawstring so you could pull it to fit around your neck, which was keeping the corn out from underneath his face shield, which was good. And the whole thing was battery powered, so it would filter the air and like push it through, which is very, very good. 
At 1.17 p.m., as they finally got his head out of the corn, the battery pack on his helmet died, and the rescuer in the tube with him wanted to take off his helmet so that he could get more air, but he refused to take it off because this was his lifeline. It's the only reason he's alive. And also, he's been reburied like three or four times at this point, so he's like not jazzed about the idea of taking off his helmet. So they came up with the idea that he would feed an oxygen tube through the bottom so he would still be able to breathe and also wear the helmet. They did finally get him to take off the helmet once they offered him some water. And he drank it so quickly that one of the men was like, I swear to God, if you choke, I'm leaving. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, if you choke on water and die because you choked on water, I'm going to be pissed. (laughs) (laughs) The rescue team worked themselves into the ground to get him out. EMTs actually had to set up a tent for the dehydrated rescue members. And at times they would even have to drag them off the pile of corn to get them to like force them to take a break and get their vitals taken. So everyone was working at the highest possible, you know, capacity, I guess. Yeah, literally nothing else matters right now. And at this point in time inside the bin, a rescue firefighter named Tyler had been digging in the tube with Eric when the grain shifted again and caused the tube to almost collapse in on itself. He had to literally use his body as a jack to keep the walls from caving in. And everyone who was in the grain bin at that time had to completely freeze because if anyone moved and shifted the corn again, the whole thing could break and bury Eric. And this time he wasn't wearing his mask, so he'd 100% die. And also it would kill Tyler. Like now it's now he's with Eric in this like terror. This is bad. So Tyler's biggest fear was that his muscles would give out from holding it apart and they would both be dead. So now all they could do was drain the corn around the bin and, and not, you know, dig around Eric anymore. But this process was, say it with me now, extremely slow because the corn <laughs> wouldn't drain out quick enough. And now that was all the only thing that they had to rely on. So Tyler kept t- telling Eric, you know, just five more minutes, just five more minutes. But he told him that so many times that by the by the time it was like actually five more minutes, Eric was like, okay, shut up. Like, I know it's not going to be five more minutes. But the two of them sat in there for so long and held hands the entire time because now they were in this together. And at one point, Eric was kind of passing out again because I guess like heat heat exhaustion, dehydration, you know, can't breathe, like many, many different things. And his hand went limp in, in Tyler's hand and he got really scared, but he managed to wake him up again and then keep him talking and he kept him going. At 3.02 p.m., Drum roll, please. They were finally able to pull Tyler out of the tube as well as Eric out of the corn completely. Oh, hallelujah. Can well, I? How many me? hours? Five full hours. That, yeah, it was like close to five hours in the corn. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Yeah. Eric immediately latched onto Tyler and just wept. The emotions were extremely high and they were able to put him onto a stretcher and out of the bin where he saw his parents for the first time as he was being carried to the ambulance. And the first thing that he said to his father was, I'm sorry for all the grain on the ground. <laughs> like, buddy. Bud. <laughs> no one cares. It's okay, man. No one cares. 
Um, and Annette, his mother, said it felt like he was reborn and she knew that he was fine when, as they were loading Eric into the ambulance, he yelled to his mom, Ma, bring my phone. <laughs> bring my phone. <laughs> yeah. And he was immediately flown to the hospital. Flown? Yeah, he was flown. Oh, they helicoptered him. Yeah, a helicopter ambulance. (laughs) Yeah. Fair enough. Um, His heart rate when he arrived at the hospital was 170 beats per minute, and they believed when he was submerged that it was anywhere between 230 and 250 beats per minute the entire time, and they consider 265 beats per minute to be a heart attack. So he got... he was at basically heart attack for uh, five hours. Yes, yeah. He, he got extremely lucky. Um, his doctors told him that had he been even five years older, his heart could have just exploded. And if he was five years younger, he could have been crushed by the pressure. Really threading that needle. Yes. Is. Yep. He had an injury on his shoulder from when the tube was like, you know, thrust into the corn and hit his shoulder. And his foot was pretty badly smushed. And he had acid burns on his legs from the rotten corn that he was sitting in for hours. And when he first got to the hospital, the doctors didn't really know what to do with him. They just like took his vitals and... Oh, this is this part I don't like, actually. I just remembered what I wrote. Okay, uh, so they... They noticed that the corn was still stuck in his skin in a lot of places because of the pressure, his skin was covered in indents and many of them still had pieces of corn that they had to physically remove. Have you, have you ever heard of trypophobia? (laughs) Because Google it right now. (laughs) I would rather die than Google it. Um, that fear of holes. Well, it's not so much fear of holes as just Google it, but it it is that makes me want to crawl out of my skin and die. The the, the visual of that. Ugh. Anyway, yeah, so there's just a bunch of holes in his legs. Stop. Corn stop. Stuck no, in no, it, no, no, like no. Getting pulled no. out one by one. <laughs> Your face is priceless. I have to die. My my Uber's here. Okay. I can't um, even but imagine. I thought he had jeans on, right? Well, yeah, but he also had like sh- a. a t-shirt with the sleeves cut off and he was he was wearing shorts he wasn't wearing pants oh right right yeah but only okay so he got the corn taken out he was that anyway so 48 hours later he was able to walk away from the hospital and the whole ordeal he could still walk and the burns were definitely the worst part um he said it took about three to four weeks for those to go away but other than that he was pretty okay that's basically had nothing wrong with him. Yeah, he, I was going to say he killed it, but that feels wrong. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I guess he did, you know, for yeah. lack of a better phrase. Yeah. The fire chief said in his 25 years with the department, they had never experienced a successful grain bin rescue. 25 years of body recovery rather than rescue. I can't even imagine how surprised and elated he was when they found out he was alive. Yeah, Eric, everyone. Eric was alive, yeah everyone i mean even his his parents like they when the guy ran out of the grain bin screaming that he's alive his parents were still down there literally mourning the death of their son so they were like he's reborn like he's he's alive it's crazy um yeah everything had to happen exactly how it happened or he wouldn't have come out of there alive he had to have that rope around his shoulder he had to have his arms in the air he had to have been wearing that mask he had to have gone straight down because if he went down any other way he 
probably could have died as well. He had to have been wearing those steel-toed boots or his foot would have been completely crushed and he would have lost his foot. And he had to have been trained by his mother not to panic. So what she said in the documentary was that when her children were growing up, she has, I guess, Eric and a daughter as well. And she instilled this belief that what causes people to die is panic. And she's like, in any situation, you need to know not to panic because she, like, she's like, say for instance, you get lost at the fair and you're like a little kid. If you panic, you're going to be in a worse situation. So she literally trained her kids not to panic. That's a fantastic move by her. Yeah. Because, you, I mean, you think think about it. Like, you panic, you're not thinking clearly. And all exactly. your mental energy is going to thinking about death instead of thinking about how you're going to get out of it. Right. So, and then he probably had the mental, like, I don't know, fortitude to to sit there and breathe while he's got 250 beat, uh, beats per minute going. <laughs> Yeah. He basically having a heart attack for five hours and he's just remaining calm and breathing. Exactly. Yeah. So today, Eric is still farming with his father and is the same happy-go-lucky guy, but, you know, his life will never be the same, obviously. He said that he still goes into the grain bins, but he does feel like Spider-Man when he goes in there because all of his senses are, like, at 100%. He's just very aware of everything. And he said that that kind of carried through with, like, everything in his life, which is not a great feeling, but I'm sure it's a good thing to be aware of your surroundings, you know? Never a bad thing. Yeah, but, I mean, especially if you're getting right back in that bin. Right, but <laughs> also imagine. trauma. Yeah. Did they? Did he do anything new, or is he just still using that same pipe and I that mean, rope? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think, well, so Eric said his biggest takeaway from this experience was, he said, quote, I knew what I was doing was dangerous. I knew that there was a warning sign on it saying not to do it. I've heard of people dying in grains bins, but I still wasn't able to say no. It doesn't matter if it's your dad or your boss. It's important to say no if you don't feel safe in a work environment. So at this point, he goes in the grain bin, but if he doesn't feel safe or he, you know, isn't, I don't know, feeling safe doing something else, he says no. He's like, I'm not going to do something just because my dad told me to kind of thing. Yeah, and he, he's not a religious person, but many people, you know, have said that what happened was a miracle because of how many things had to, you know, happen for him to survive and all of those things did happen and he's still here today. Yeah, he married his girlfriend and that's really it. That is the story of Eric Baker. Hell yeah. I wonder if he responded with, you know, to her, did you die text message with like, nah, LOL, <laughs> or just some shit like that. <laughs> yeah, almost. <laughs> like, there's some corn that's a part of me now, but <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> exactly. Well, good for him. It. it sounds like he really just went back to normal, still happy, look, go lucky guy, married his girlfriend. And, you know, really just got a second lease on life. And mm -hmm. his family is probably, like, I don't know, forever traumatized, but forever grateful that he made it through that. Yeah, they did say that every day now feels like a gift, you know? Right. Um, yeah. But do you have a good thing? Uh, yeah. I don't know if I mentioned ever that I went to a, I was going to go to a wedding, but I did end up going to that wedding this week, and it was really fun. I had a great time, um, so that is my good thing. That's good. My good thing is when I was home visiting my family in New York about a week ago, I participated in a Shrek-themed beer Olympics, and it was fucking rad. I was dragon, and... 
Uh, my team was, I, I think we came in second or maybe we won. I don't know, but Tied we for first, we, we killed it. Uh, also it your, lot. your outfit was on point. Oh yeah. I was definitely Shrexy feeling a little <laughs> pretty Shrexy actually. So, uh, the, uh, my friends that were doing it, they were, do, they were giving out awards and stuff. And, um, I, I won Shrexiest costume. So Shrexiest. Yes. Or at least I was, I was supposed to win, but that's anyway fantastic. oh you were supposed to win but you didn't get a trophy are you mad about well, it no no so i had to, i had to leave <laughs> i had to leave before the awards uh were given out and so since i wasn't there to claim my award it went to second runner-up so it is what it is yep not mad <laughs> <laughs> no I'm, I'm i'm actually not but it was a lot of fun and uh yeah i don't know thank you guys so much for listening um like we said in the beginning if you have a story of survival that you'd like to send us send it to knowtodaypodcast at gmail.com uh if you'd like to follow us on instagram where we post pictures of all the stories we talk about follow us at not today underscore podcast uh follow us on twitter at not today podcast with the t on the end of podcast is a three we have a tiktok that is not today podcast and just keep breathing yeah yeah